Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. The United Nations General Assembly, better known as UNGA, kicks off in New York during the last week of September this year. Hundreds of heads of state, business, and civil society leaders and dignitaries of all stripes will descend on the UN for a week of events, meetings, and, of course, speeches. It is the single most important and action-packed week on the diplomatic calendar, a behemoth of diplomacy. And so this year, I thought I'd do something a little different and have two people on the show today to help break it all down. On the line with me to preview the big stories that will drive the agenda at UNGA this year is Margaret Bashir, the UN correspondent for Voice of America, and Richard Gowan, the UN director of the International Crisis Group. Uh, just a couple of quick notes. As we mentioned in this episode, Climate events and climate change are really dominating the focus of UNGA this year. I've posted a full-length interview with Cassie Flynn of the UN Development Program, who helps preview the main uh, climate change event this year, the UN Climate Action Summit, which is happening on Monday, the 23rd of September. If you want a full-length conversation specifically about that summit, then do check that out. Also, in a special episode posted this week, Antonio Guterres sits down for an interview about climate change issues. This interview was conducted on behalf of the Covering Climate Now initiative. This is a collaboration of nearly 300 news outlets, including Global Dispatch's podcast and UN Dispatch, to focus coverage on the climate story. To access those two interviews in all, the other episodes we post on Global Dispatches Podcast, please go to globaldispatchespodcast.com or just subscribe to the podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is my conversation with Richard Gowan of the International Crisis Group and Margaret Bashir of Voice of America, who emphasizes that the opinions she expresses are her own and not that of her employer. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. One observation I'd want to make uh, is that I think what might distinguish or make UNGA a little more interesting this year uh, is a dynamic that will unfold because of the presence of some of the world's leading climate activists at the UN and around New York more broadly this year, in addition to some of the world's you know, great climate villains like Jair Bolsonaro and you know, Donald Trump just earlier this week announced a rollback or an intended, intention to roll back California's emission standards. Um, 
Margaret, to kick off with you, what are some of the climate events that are happening this week? And what are the opportunities for potential conflict, really, between the climate activists at UNGA and some heads of state at UNGA who might not be as bold on climate change as the activists might like? Um, so I, I see it a little differently. I sort of see this youth summit that's happening Saturday and into Sunday as being like this great injection of momentum, hopefully, and vigor and fresh blood. And, you know, we every year we get all these, you know, stuffy world leaders who come here. And for a change, it's sort of going to kick off with this youth injection. And I, I hope that it will sort of um, bleed over into Monday into the adult summit and maybe it won't be so stuffy and maybe because the young people will sort of bring their voices to it and a fresh perspective that uh, I don't know about conflict between the activists the way you mentioned it but I would say maybe not conflict but maybe they're bringing their their view and their fears for the future, their future, and uh, hopefully the leaders will hear them. And maybe something can actually come out of it uh, that's positive for a change. You know, I think it's kind of exciting that the kids are coming. And it's kind of an interesting decision, I think, uh, of the Secretary General to have this youth climate meeting uh, ahead of the the, the sort of big uh, UNGA kickoff and the heads of state speeches and, of course, the, the Climate Action Summit, which is happening on on Monday. It's sort of, I think, a reflection of his intention to have civil society have an increased voice in these kinds of conversations in, inside the UN. I know, what say you, and you know oh, what? Yeah, yeah. I think also maybe the kids can name and shame the leaders who aren't doing anything, whereas the secretary general, being the world's top diplomat, not necessarily can, right? He's, so he's outsourcing maybe, maybe his naming kids, and shaming. Yeah, maybe the yeah. kids are doing the dirty work for him. It's a good cop, bad cop thing. I don't know, Richard, in general, what sort of, do you, what do you see as some of the broader geopolitics at play around this climate summit? And what will you be looking for in terms of how these geopolitics might play out in the coming week? Well, I think what the summit really does is shift attention away from Donald Trump. And that's important because for the last two years, Trump has completely dominated the General Assembly and neither Guterres nor other leaders have really dared to table any substantive initiatives uh, around the General Assembly because there's been a fear of creating friction with the Americans. And what strikes me with the Climate Summit is that Guterres and a lot of leaders, um, a lot of European leaders, Latin Americans and others are saying, OK, we, we can't just wait for Trump to leave. We've got to get on with the business of multilateralism, uh, whether or not Donald is in the White House. So, you know, the whole focus of the, the General Assembly, I think, for a global audience is going to be the climate discussions. Uh, there'll be photos of Greta Thunberg and other young climate activists. And yes, you know, Trump will come here next week. He will speak on the 24th. But there will be a strong sense that the world is pulling itself together and isn't just allowing the US to, to set the agenda. And I think that's, that's the political message coming out of all these meetings. 
So speaking of, of the U.S. setting the agenda or not, there is some really interesting news today, and, and we don't know how this will play out. But the Iranians uh, are complaining or saying that their efforts to secure visas to attend the General Assembly are are not forthcoming from the United States. Now, we should back up a little bit. The U.S. has a treaty obligation with the United Nations as the host country to provide visas and allow entry for dignitaries and diplomats to come to the U.N. to address it. Of course, the U.S. can restrict their movements outside the U.N., but in general, they have to let them come to the U.N. Uh, and it was expected that uh, Rouhani himself and perhaps even uh, Javad Zarif uh, would be at the United Nations. But as of now, their attendance seems to be a little up in the air. Um Margaret, can can you talk a little bit about what we know about this unfolding situation with the visas and the Iranians? So the whole Iranian story has been so fluid for the last week now. Um, you know, we had the attacks over the weekend in Saudi Arabia that's up and for debate who who carried them out, and now we have this issue with the visa. Um, Pompeo is traveling in in the Middle East. He's on his way to Saudi, or he's arrived. I'm not sure which, but he said at some point in his travels that he doesn't think that they should come. Uh, but the U.S. does have a host country obligation to let in people that they don't like uh, for U.N. meetings, and they've certainly done it in the past, and they do it regularly. And Zarif was here just a few weeks ago, in fact. So um, the secretary general was actually asked about that this afternoon at his Priyanka news conference. And he said that the UN has been in contact with the host state in order to solve all the outstanding visa problems. Um, and he said he hoped that this would allow the problem to be solved. So he didn't seem particularly nervous when he was asked about it or worried or concerned. So I think he thinks it'll go through. Uh, perhaps it's just a bit of, um, you know, how powers play with each other. I, you know, like maybe the Americans are just being difficult and then they're going to relent at the last mm -hmm. minute or something. Maybe Pompeo, you know, they've complained repeatedly, the administration, that Zarif comes here on a visa and he does a lot of TV interviews and things like that. And, you know, he gets to spread his propaganda, which they don't like. So maybe they're just going to try and limit how long he can be here, maybe wait to the last minute to give him a visa so he can't do so many uh, interviews or something. And Richard, what do you see as the kind of broader dynamics of Iranian participation at UNGA this year? Well, as, as Margaret says, it's it's been insanely fluid. And, you know, just 10 days ago or a week ago, it did look like there was a good chance that um, President Trump would meet President Rouhani. That's something which uh, the French and Emmanuel Macron have been working on uh, setting up since the G7 summit in Biarritz. And the, you know, the Americans, Pompeo and, and Trump, have both been indicating that they would quite like to see that meeting uh, happen. And it, you know, there was a feeling that maybe we were coming to a moment where, with John Bolton uh, out of the White House, uh, Trump would come to New York, meet, meet the Iranians, have a photo op, and you know, start reducing tensions. Now, that whole uh, scenario has fallen apart pretty decisively uh, since the Saudi Aramco attacks. Uh, the Iranians have already said they don't want to meet Trump unless there are concessions on, on sanctions. But with the, the Saudi Aramco attacks, I think that a meeting is now almost totally out of the question. And instead of seeing seeing this as a moment for potential rapprochement, 
we're approaching a moment where Trump is going to stand in front of other leaders and, you know, probably talk about slapping more sanctions on Iran um, and, you know, even threatening worse coercive measures against the Iranians. So rather than being a peacemaking General Assembly, this could be a, uh, a peace undermining General Assembly. I guess that depends to a degree, of course, on what is you know contained in, in Donald Trump's speech to the United Nations. So, you know, two years ago in his first speech at UNGA was a very bellicose speech directed against North Korea. And of course, that led to, to talks with North Korea and a you know decline in bellicosity, at least coming from the mouth or the Twitter feed of the president of the United States. So it's sort of an interesting dynamic, I agree, um, to, to watch and, and to see uh, might unfold. Um, Richard, uh, staying with you, what role might Antonio Guterres have in um, perhaps doing some behind-the-scene diplomacy to try to smooth over tensions uh, that have stemmed from this attack on the Saudi oil infrastructure? I'm sure Guterres will, you know, urge Trump and urge other relevant leaders to show restraint. And what we're hearing is also that other significant players like the the Europeans, um, the UK, the French and so forth, are, are really you know, emphasizing the need for, for restraint in the Gulf. The Russians apparently also made this point in a closed Security Council meeting. Um, but the reality is that uh, while you know, while U.S. allies may have some influence over U.S. thinking, Guterres doesn't. And I, you know, I would pivot here to, um, I think, to an interesting uh, an interesting shift in Guterres as Secretary General. Um, for the first couple of years of his leadership um, here in New York, uh, you know, his real focus was conflict prevention. Um, it was crisis management. He's been trying to mediate in situations like Libya. But this year, he seems to have changed direction. And rather than majoring on crisis issues, he's majoring on climate change. And you know, this links to the climate summit, which is very much his, uh, his production here in New York. He, he really seems to think that his highest chance of impact now is by pulling people together around implementing the Paris um, climate agreement, rather than attempting to mediate in fast-moving crises such as that that we're currently witnessing in the Persian Gulf. Margaret, have you seen that trend sort of in, in Antonio Guterres and, and in you know, the UN Secretariat more broadly over the last year as well? Yeah, I agree with Richard because uh, I think, you know, climate mitigation is an easy win for the Secretary General, and he doesn't have uh, too many wins on the political side of the House. And, you know, Richard brings up Libya. Well, Libya was a disaster. I mean, the secretary general went there to try and contain the conflict. And as he's getting on his plane and flying out, General Hafter starts advancing towards Lib uh, towards Tripoli and, you know, the war escalated. So, you know, that was just a disaster. And um, I think, you know, he's not getting any traction on Syria uh, you know, Yemen now is in the crosshairs of this whole other issue going on with the attacks on the Saudi oil installations. So, you know, progress, any progress that's been made there could have setbacks from that. So it's tough. And, you know, OK, so, you know, the Trump administration may be not on board about climate change, maybe some other governments like Brazil and um, 
Nicaragua and Syria since they didn't sign on to Paris. But, uh, you know, he's got govern, uh, he's got citizens on his side and he has local governments on his side and business people and, you know, this general international feeling that there has to be something done about climate and done about it soon. So I think for him, it's a, an easy win. And yeah, it's it's going to be, you know, he's picked up from Ban Ki-moon who started this push and it's turning into a legacy issue for Antonio Guterres as well. So Margaret, when I emailed you to kind of preview and ask you if you'd want to do a, an Unga foreshadow episode, uh, you immediately <laughs> wrote scary back. foreshadow yeah. issue. <laughs> <laughs> well, you immediately wrote back and you said climate change in Iran. That's the, the, those are the yeah. big stories. Um, but as in every year, there are a plethora of events and meetings and other issues that are important, but don't necessarily get the same kind of attention either through media or, or other you know, general high level attention. But there's like a lot of important and interesting things happening that sometimes get overlooked. Uh, what are some of the stories that may potentially get overlooked that you'll be kind of keeping an eye on uh, during UNGA this year? Well, I think some of the ones that aren't uh, getting the spotlight, so to speak, are these other summits that are going on during the week. There's not just the climate, but there's a high-level meeting on the sustainable development goals. There's a meeting on financing for development. There's a push for universal health care. Um, there's another meeting on eliminating nuclear weapons. So, I mean, there's some serious subjects that are out there, but really the climate and the Iranian dossier have, have overshadowed. Uh, then there's things we're not seeing too much on like Syria and Yemen, uh, the Rohingya, for instance, that was big uh, two years ago. Um, there are smaller meetings on these things. You know, you have your groups of friends and your small groups and you have your foreign ministers getting together for dinner and discussing things. But I really don't know if we're going to see much come out on those fronts. I don't know. What do you think, Richard? Do you think any of these little meetings, uh, side meetings or side events can uh, push any breakthroughs on any of the stalled uh, files? No, not really. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Apparently, Guterres himself told his advisors that given the focus on climate change and the other big summit on the SDGs, that he wanted fewer small side events on specific conflicts. He thought that they would be a distraction um, from these you know, big ticket items. Uh, now, there are still a lot of events. Um, we have a list of side events, um, around 360, uh, meetings. Wait, was that, was that Mark falling off his chair? Yeah, that was me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm loading up on Red Bull right now, just thinking about it. Uh, 360 meetings starting this Friday, running through to the, the, the following Friday. Uh, now only fewer than 30 of those are on specific, um, conflicts, uh, like Yemen or or Syria, um, Venezuela is there. Uh, there's a there's a few there's a few on Myanmar, but they're not very high level, and there's a there's a sense that they're all a little a little pro forma. So you know, sitting at the international crisis group where we we focus on crises, uh, we're not we're not foreseeing a particularly transformative uh, few days at the uh, General Assembly. I'd give a shout out in the it may be potentially transformative side of the leisure to that um, big meeting on universal health coverage. Um, 
this is the one of those kind of high level meetings in which heads of state will come to address and and put out what is expected to be some concrete plans to improve health coverage among their populations and this is a an issue that the world health organization and un member states more broadly have begun to tackle in recent years there's something like 100 million people around the world are pushed into extreme poverty because of health coverage costs and uh, some another stat i saw ahead of this conversation was that about um, 800 million people spend at least 10% of their income on health care. And, and this high-level meeting on universal health coverage will uh, have a, an actual sort of political declaration, an outcome document, uh, to which, uh, you know, against which progress might be measured in, in the coming years. So I think that is one of those kind of substantive issues that often gets overlooked among the big political issues that, that dominate coverage of UNGA, but something I think important nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. End rant. Um, one, <laughs> um, it's always like one of my kind of frustrations with Onga is that there's actually like really important stuff happening that's world, you know, that has like world historic importance, but, you know, it's not, um, it doesn't receive the same kind of coverage as like, you know, um, Donald Trump's speech or Gaddafi's speech or, so I like to but try you know, to spotlight on them. Can yeah, I yeah, say like as a journalist yeah. trying to cover this behemoth? Uh, I think that they do way too many events and that there are really uh, coverage worthy stories to be told out there. But it's just impossible to do it because you have the major stories like the Iran's and the North Korea's and uh, the Trump speeches and things like that, you know, sucking up all the oxygen and all the attention out of the week. And it's just it becomes impossible for us to have enough hours in the day to write about everything or to get to. Th I mean, for me, I mean, this is my 13th. General Assembly. And I spend so much of my time chained to my desk, actually just watching everything and trying to listen to it to then report it. Or, you know, you know it's so hard to, um, you can't just digest, you have no time to digest anything. And you can't really get to as many places as you want to be because there's, there's so much going on, you just can't do it. You just can't do it. So they really need to limit how much they do if they want real concrete outcomes, I think. I mean, it needs to be a little less crazy. 360 side events, come on, in seven days? It's kind of nuts. Um, so, uh, Richard, get a, going back to you, uh, on this question, you mentioned earlier about about the uh, Trump's presence at the UN, and, and uh, Margaret, you mentioned earlier how it always kind of dominates coverage. This year, of course, uh, will be the, the first time that the U.S. has a new ambassador to the United Nations, Kelly Kraft. Um, you know, it seems to me that in, in previous years, in Trump's previous two visits to the UN, he actually adopted a somewhat of a conciliatory tone towards the United Nations. This was even last year when John Bolton was the national security advisor during UNGA. Um, so it, it sort of is interesting to me to watch to see if that same sort of conciliatory tone is adopted this time around. One gets the sense that uh, Donald Trump seems to like the kind of pomp and circumstance around being feted by international leaders at UNGA specifically, as opposed, we should say, to the G7s of, of the world. He doesn't really, he hasn't yet, I should say, blown up an UNGA in the same way that he's blown up other international meetings. I think that's true. I think that the, the staging of the General Assembly suits Trump's style, because in essence, it's a rally-style format. He gets to stand on a podium, everyone else is watching him, uh, he knows he's getting a lot of TV coverage. It's, it's what he likes doing. Now, the G7 format, or, or the NATO 
uh, summit format, which he doesn't like, is where he has to sit around a table and engage in uh, give and take with with other leaders. So yeah, the UN does, uh, I think it does play to his uh, his ego. Um, he's back in you know his his city, which is is New York. He can look over First Avenue and see. Uh, a great big Trump Tower looming up over the UN, which probably um, makes him happy. Um, so I don't, I don't think we will see uh, the president really attacking the UN uh, on this occasion. I think that he's much more likely to uh, focus his um, his invective on uh, Iran, maybe on Venezuela. You know, countries that. Uh, that are currently causing the, the US, US trouble. Uh, there's been a tiny bit of reporting that he may also talk about uh, religious persecution and I think implicitly perse- persecution of Christian communities abroad. And I think that would be an interesting choice for him because it's, it's not really aimed at the, uh, the other leaders in the hall. It's aimed at the evangelical domestic audience in the US um, which uh, will be watching uh, the president and will be excited if he sort of stands up for, for religious freedom. Yeah, that event has actually been announced from the White House now formally last night, and it's going to happen on Monday morning, or Monday, then we'll say morning, but Monday, I think it's early part of the day, though. And um, it's when the climate summit is. So is Counter-programming he doing, against yeah, the is climate summit. Yeah, it's a counter-programming. I don't know. But uh, Mike Pence will also be at that uh, session and will introduce the president. But um, so and that's very much sort of a Mike Pence issue, uh, religious freedom. So it will, it'll be interesting to see what kind of turnout he gets when much of the other leaders are attending the climate summit. And that's but actually that's a really interesting point about Pence being there, because uh, we've been watching, you know, we've been watching and trying to analyze Trump's relations with the UN since 2017. And, you know, the standard line has always been, you know, Bolton was the member of the administration who was really fascinated with the UN and weakening the UN. But something that we've seen uh, quite clearly over the last 18 months or so is that both Pence and Pompeo, uh, who are very, very um, conscious of what the religious base wants in the US, really like coming to the UN and undermining, for example, language on reproductive health, because some some people associate that with abortion. I think Pompeo and Pence, um, you know, see the UN as a good place to be fighting culture wars. And even though Bolton has now gone, that's going to continue to be a feature of uh, this administration's behavior towards the institution. So every year there is a breakout star of UNGA, someone who unexpectedly captures the world's attention in some meaningful way. Last year, I think undisputably, it was New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern who brought her three-month-old baby to the floor of the UN General Assembly and became something of a media star during the week. This really was, I think, a breakout moment for her in world politics. So Margaret, to you, who do you suspect will be the breakout star of UNGA this year? 
All right, I'm going to go for um, what do they call it? A sleeper? What is the what is the expression? The sleeper, sleeper, or something? Yeah. <laughs> the one you don't expect. <laughs> um, I'm going to say if he comes, because there's reporting that he's going to come. Uh, I'm going to say Juan Guaido from Venezuela, Ooh. the opposition leader. Only because I sort of feel like it's make or break at time for him. So he needs to come and he's supposed to be speaking at some Concordia uh, event. And, you know, is he going to be in the Dag Hammarskjöld Plaza across the street leading a big uh, protest maybe when when Venezuela uh, speaks? I, you know, Maduro's on the schedule, but I'm not holding my breath for him to come. So I'm not sure who's going to do the speech for Venezuela right now. But uh, I feel like Guaido, it's, he's got to, you know, make a splash or his days are numbered. So I'm wondering if he might be some sort of um, breakout star. Richard, to you, breakout star of Unga 2019. Um, that's, I think that's a really great point about Guaido. I mean, obviously, I think Greta, uh, Greta Thunberg, um, who has really become the, the face of the climate uh, diplomacy is going to be a uh, is going to be a star. Um, that's that's guaranteed um, and well deserved. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, I as a Brit will be watching with a certain ironic curiosity what Boris Johnson will say uh, at his first um, General Assembly appearance. I think he's speaking uh, on Tuesday afternoon and. You know, he's having a, a very, very rough time back in Europe, but uh, this will be his chance to pitch post-Brexit Britain to the wider world. Uh, and he is an entertaining speaker when he's in his um, when he's in his prime. So that will be fun to watch. What, one person who I think is fading away, uh, the opposite of a breakout star, but who will be fondly remembered at the UN is Angela Merkel, uh, the German chancellor, who's coming for the climate summit and the development summit. This is probably her last trip to a general assembly. She doesn't come every year. Um, she's approaching the end of her um, tenure in in Berlin. Elections may well happen next year. And I think that you will see quite a lot of affection from other leaders for Merkel uh, because she has been a very, very solid friend of multilateral cooperation during a, a very rough time in the UN. Uh, good. Well... <laughs> Thank you both. This is a very helpful preview of what to expect and some of the stories that will drive the agenda at UNGA this year. Stay hydrated, you two. Yeah. <laughs> Take your vitamins, eat your Wheaties, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Richard and Margaret. Always fun to catch up with those two. And if you are around New York and you are listening to this contemporaneously, then feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to try to uh, meet up if possible. I'll be running around the UN, running around various events. But hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg or send me an email using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. And uh, maybe we can uh, meet up. Talk to you later. Bye.